Welcome to Living Free Today, a ministry of Cornerstone Fellowship in San Lorenzo, California. These podcasts are the weekly sermons of Dr. Michael L. Wilson. Please open your Bibles to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. All of chapter 4 is Paul's conclusion or his summary of what he said in the first chap- three chapters. And so he begins in 4.1 saying that, uh, he says, therefore, my brothers, and that is cultural, he means everybody, uh, who he loves and who he longs for, calls them his joy and his crown. In other words, when he thinks of them, he has joy, and it is his glory, if you will, that they are standing firm. And he says, stand firm thus in the Lord. And so he doesn't say fight, he doesn't say uh, go out and find an enemy, he is just saying standing firm, and the command to stand firm is throughout the New Testament. It is something that we are uh, able to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I titled this sermon, as you see in the bulletin, Intentional Christianity. I first heard that term back in the early 80s. I was in the Air Force and they sent me to Alaska and I got involved in a church and I was in a Bible study and that's the first time I heard the phrase intentional Christianity and I have kind of studied that and looked at it here and there throughout my Christian life and I think it is something that is missed by most of the Christian teaching that is in America today. Intentional Christianity means that if I am a believer and I go to church and I read Philippians 4 and then I go home, things are not going to just happen. I am not going to just be obedient. It takes a degree of planning, it takes a degree of knowledge, it takes a degree of uh, intention on the part of the Christian to be obedient to the things of God. If you just let yourself be and do whatever comes across your path, that is how the world works. And if we do not pay attention to our Christianity, we will fall into the trap that the world offers, which the Bible calls the flesh. It is very easy to allow things of the world, like a job or family, to put demands on us. And there's consequences if we do not obey that. And then when we get time by ourselves, I have had many people tell me, Well, I don't want Christianity to be another job. 
And that is true. We don't have to look at Christianity as being another job. We look at Christianity as being the intention of my life, the intention of what I'm doing that work falls under and family falls under. And so time is the biggest commodity that we have today. And I think people need to schedule and dedicate time to their Christian walk if they are able to stand in the Lord. There are many forces that are upon us. Uh, it is estimated that today with our phones and our TVs and such, that we have one million inputs a day, one million voices that are saying, hey, listen to me, hey, look at this. And we need to be able to stand because there is an onslaught of information that is not Christ-based. And so if we fill our minds with the things of Christ and our times with the things of Christ, then we will be able to um, withstand all that comes along. The first issue that Paul talks about is Yoda and Synthite. People talk about uh, biblical names, but I've never met anybody who names their daughter Synthite. But that's, that's okay. It's a biblical name. It's right here. And apparently these are two women, because it says women. And apparently they are uh, in conflict. And when you bring people into a church and you bring people into a fast-growing church, there will be those who have a certain idea about how things should go or a certain idea about what is proper dress or where people should sit or things of this nature. And other people that were perhaps raised differently will come and they will disagree and there will be preference disagreement in every church. The classic example is you do not have to all enjoy or like as your favorite ice cream flavor chocolate, for example. Some people may say, well, I like strawberry. You can still be saved if you like strawberry ice cream and it will not cause a division in the church. However, this is believed because it is in Scripture causing some level of division or faction in the church. We do not need, we do not, it is commanded to not have any such division in the church. And Paul's uh, answer to this conflict that is happening is he calls them uh, to agree in the Lord so their disagreement is personal, but Paul is saying, don't look here for your agreement, look up here for your agreement. If you can agree about Jesus Christ, if you can agree about how salvation occurs in Jesus Christ, then you can be teammates in the work. If you look at what the purpose of a church is, the purpose of a church is not to create a little kingdom or something like that where people say, hey, look at me, but it is a place where Christ is preached and where people can get saved. And so they agree in the Lord. 
He calls them true companions. So he's not saying that they are false teachers. He is not saying that they are not saved. He is saying that they are true companions and they have worked side by side with them so he knows them personally and he calls them fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And so he's saying for their intention they need to get their eyes off of personal issues, their eyes off of what some might call petty disagreements, disagreements about uh, family matters or something of this nature, and you focus on what you believe in in Jesus Christ, and if we all can agree on who Jesus Christ is and how we are saved in Him, then we can all be on the same team working for the same goal even though we may have personal differences and even disagreements about preferences, those do not matter in the big picture of who Jesus Christ is. And then he says in verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Now in 4 through 7, he gives a command. It is actually a command to rejoice. He gives an encouragement to be gentle, and he gives a promise of peace. And so rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. When we talk about rejoicing in all things, we're rejoicing in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? It means that I have a, I have a problem in my life. Say I broke my leg, okay? That is a problem in my body. That is a problem in my life. The broken leg does not weaken, alter, or modify the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So I compare my broken leg, my pain in my leg, to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and God's love for me. If we compare those two things, honest and truly, they do not compare. For all eternity, my leg will be healed and it will never break again. There's no broken bones in heaven. There's no pain in heaven. Okay, we will all be walking around and not fear those things because of the system that God's love and the death of Christ will bring about in eternity. So I compare those two. And I say, compared to everything that is coming in the future, everything Christ has done, how much weight and value do I put on my discomfort? How much weight and value do I put on my pain? Now... If you have a broken leg, you go to the doctor, you get a splint, you perhaps take pain reliever because you have to be able to function in this world. But mentally, how much value do I put on my current state? How much emphasis do I put on my comfort versus what massive comfort I'm going to get in eternity? Can I wait? Can I wait and say, I am going to 
grin and bear it. I am going to stand firm and not let this destroy my life because I know what's coming. I know what's coming tomorrow. I know what's coming in all eternity in the big picture sense of who God is. And so I can rejoice and I can have joy even amidst tragedy, I can always have joy about what Christ did. I can always have joy about who God is and how God's love for me has saved me. Now, one problem that we get into is we have a difficulty and I start asking why. And I start putting my expectations on God. And if I put my expectations, which are sinful, which are fleshy, which are of the world, on God, then I can judge God. And the world today is all full of people who are judging God. I have met countless people who say, this person died unexpectedly, a child, a mother, a sibling died unexpectedly, therefore... God does not exist. I actually had somebody tell me that. Because there was an unexpected death in their family, that was irrefutable evidence that God does not exist. That is putting my expectations of how God should act on him, and if he doesn't meet that, then he clearly is a myth. He's clearly a fantasy because he didn't live up to my expectations. And if I am rejoicing in God, then whatever happens, I can always look through the lens of Christ's love for me and say, I don't know how this works. I don't know why. I don't know why this happened. This is terrible. This is impossible. I'll never get past this, we may think. But, I still have in my mind God's massive, infinite love for me. And if I can look at every situation I'm in, whether it's big or small, whether it's joyous, whether it's terrific, these things I can view through the love of God, and that is the theory of how I can get through anything. I can withstand anything the world throws at me because I understand that God, who is much smarter than me, who is much more powerful than me, who has been around a lot longer than me, he knows what he's doing, and I will trust him in that. We are in many ways the two- and three-year-olds with the very wise parent. And if the three-year-old keeps telling the dad what to do, that's not going to work well. But if the dad manages the three-year-old and guides the three and gives the three-year-old tools, what kind of tools? Well, the Bible for one, prayer for two, the church for three. We have tools to handle this life because God loves us and God knows what he's doing. He then says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Reasonableness, some translations say gentleness. Some translations say humility. It doesn't say, let your perfection, let your righteousness 
The way Christians need to work in this world is that after you deal with somebody, they need to be able to say, that person was reasonable. That is a very low bar to get by. But if we are reasonable, that means we have a door into them. That means we have a door to go back. And if we are reasonable and thought reasonable by the people that we deal with, then when we finally get to the point of perhaps inviting them to church or sharing the gospel, they won't be put off saying, well, if that person shared the gospel, the gospel must be garbage because they're, you know, prideful and evil and wicked and those sorts of things. But if we are reasonable, we listen to people, we speak to people with respect, we are humble. C.S. Lewis says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. If I am humble, it doesn't mean that I'm, you know, the worst that can be. You're not thinking less of yourself, but you're thinking of yourself less. I become, in my mind, inconsequential to what God is doing in the world. I am not his great manager of making things happen. I become just part of what God is doing. And Christ died for me. I'm still saved. But God is going to get his work done whether I see it or participate or not. And so we need to be people who participate in the work of God obediently stand and do things for God and what happens to me, what I get out of it, these sorts of things become inconsequential. And then he says, don't be anxious about anything. Anxious is worry. I'm worried about how things will come about. I think about the future and how bad it can be and all the difficult things that are going to happen and I become Scared of the future, scared of this situation, scared of that, and that comes out in anxiety. Anxiety is on the increase in America. I've heard those reports, and I think it's because of all the basic hate that's being preached everywhere. If you, that's all you hear all day long, you're scared and you're anxious about it. And the answer for anxiety is to pray, Paul says, but, don't be anxious, but pray with supplication and thanksgiving. Supplication is asking God for stuff. It is requests. Thanksgiving is thanking God for stuff. And there's lots of things. You could, if you have an honest view of Scripture, spend all day thanking God for all the blessings he has given you. And if we have that in mind, that our prayers are full of thanksgiving, well, I don't feel thankful about this situation. Well, you're not supposed to be thankful about this situation. You're supposed to be thankful about who God is and God's love for you and the cross and all the blessings and salvation and Christ taking your sin so that you don't have to pay the price for it. And that whole salvation message, the gospel, that is what we are thankful for. 
and then you start there and then you begin to make it more personal and if you begin to think about your life, you got more blessings than you can think of. Count your blessings, name them one by one, we used to sing, because if you do that, you're going to be thankful, you're going to be amazed and we have insight into our lives that the world does not have. You know, somebody out there uh, wins the lotto. That's a big thing that people want, and they just, you know, think how lucky they are. While we see God's hand in everything, if I won the lotto, I would praise God for that. That would be a boon of blessing that I then need to look at the money and the situation and manage it with my mind on God. And that is everything from a raise at work to, you know, a new house or whatever you get that you consider a blessing. It is all a gift of God. I couldn't be doing these things without God's power. And if you pray about all your requests, let your requests be known to God. Ask him for what you want. You want this, you want that, pray for it. If you don't get it, tomorrow you pray for it again. If you don't get it, tomorrow you pray for it again. And if you can pray for something every single day, every time you pray, and you're not getting it, and your mind doesn't change, you don't begin to doubt, well, maybe I don't deserve this or something of this nature. You, you, your mind will begin to be molded by God and it's quite possible. I've heard of people who have prayed for salvation for somebody for 25 years and God didn't do it. But you keep praying for it if you want it, if you feel that it is a godly request. You make your request known to God. You bear your heart to God. You can't say anything to God that's going to shock him. You can't say anything to God that he's going to go, oh, I can't do that. He can do anything. He can do all things. And so you make your requests. Whatever your heart desires, you make it to God and you thank him. You thank him, you thank him, you thank him. You make your requests and that is, if that is your prayer life, and continual, consistent prayer life, then the peace of God will come upon you. And it says the peace of God surpasses all understanding. You try to explain this to a non-Christian, they will think you're high. They will think that you are on something. If you say, oh yeah, I just talked to God and I get peace. They have no idea what you're talking about. The world has no idea about how spiritual things really work and how God can actually give peace to somebody's heart and mind. That is an actual, real thing that occurs a billion times a day to all the Christians that are out there that are praying for this and praying for that and inexplicable to them, they receive peace. It is illogical. It is not explainable. It is not knowable. But it is the peace of God that he gives in relationship to an honest, true, 
soul-bearing prayer life. Okay? People say, don't have the peace of God. I'll say, how's your Bible reading? I can't find my Bible. How's your prayer life? Well, I haven't prayed in 20 years. Okay? It isn't that type of peace. You do these things. You get closer to God. Basically, you're opening your heart to God, letting God in, and God brings his peace with him. Okay? And nobody can understand that. And it says it will guard your hearts and minds once you have that close relationship with God where you're daily bearing your heart and soul to him. You are protected. You are guarded against the things of the world. You now have a place to stand. It tells you to stand. You now have a place to stand. And when the world comes against you, you can go, that's stupid. You know, God loves me. I have a relationship with God. I don't need a relationship with you because you have a relationship with God. And the peace is now guiding you. He then ends with this list of things. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, I've known people, and there's apps for this, if you want to go that route, who have made a list, a checklist. Okay, you can line all these things up. You can say, honorable, blow that just, blow that pure. And you can make a checklist about your prayer life. And you start praying, and then you give one eye to that checklist, and you say, well, what am I praying about? Am I praying about things that are evil? And I know people who claims to have prayed for things that are evil, that you know, I, I want this person to lose their job or something as of revenge. If I pray for revenge against somebody, that's evil. Revenge is a sin. If I'm, and God's not going to go, okay, and answer your prayer for revenge. We need to have in our minds these things. And you can manage it as a checklist or you can just have a sense of what it's talking about that sort of thing, and if you're thinking about these things all day long, if you're thinking about things that are excellent and pure and lovely and just, then your thought life is going to be God-pointed, is going to be God-centered, the only being on earth who answers all these things is Jesus Christ, of course. And so, if you're praying with your mind set on Jesus Christ and who he is and what he went through, then that's a starting point. And you can think about all sorts of things about family and such that match these requirements. But I think you need to start with your mind set on Christ and let him direct your thoughts. Let him guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. And he says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And that's where I get the intentional Christianity, is there's a variety of things in this passage about prayer and how to prayer, pray, and where peace comes from and what to think about. 
And if you spend some time every day pondering this, of what things you are involved in, what sort of things you let into your mind and into your heart, and say, well, is it, you know, is this thing that I've been thinking about, is that lovely and pure? Or is it just something that's comfort-based and has no value in eternity? And if you begin to spend some time every day, every week, whenever, if you're a calendar person, put it on your calendar. If you're a to-do list person, put it on your to-do list. If you're a note-on-the-refrigerator sort of person, put a note on your refrigerator. We all do various things as adults. We've all done various things to remind us, you know, from a string on your finger to a rubber band on your wrist. I mean, there's people have tried to invent things to remind us to do stuff for 5,000 years probably. People want to be reminded of stuff. And so you pick whatever works for you, you begin to put your Christianity into that list. You put your Christianity onto your calendar. You put Bible verses on your refrigerator. You put your Christianity as something that needs to be worked on. Everybody can be a better Christian. Really, everybody can be a better, what I say by better Christian? Better Christian is a closer walk with God. That is the ultimate goal. You get the closest walk with God when you go to heaven and you say, hey God, let's go for a walk. And he walks with you. That is a very close walk with God. We don't have that now. We have a spiritual walk with God. We have a spiritual walk. And we need to make that as tight and as close as we can. We need to be, you know, like this with God. God's already like this with you, but you need to be like this with God. You need to be tight with Him so that something happens, you can bring it to Him. Something happens, you can share it with Him. No shame, no guilt, no nothing feeling about bringing things, nothing blocking you from bringing things to God. You bring things to God, and so... You study the Bible. We all need to be Bible studiers. We all need to be people who know our Bible. I know a guy who's involved in a church plant in Sunnyvale, I think. And it's a lot of young people, and they don't know nothing about the Bible. And so he's starting Bible studies for the people who are coming to teach them about the Bible with the goal of them then, away from the church, opening the Bible and looking at it. We are to be people who understand the teachings of the Bible. We need to be amongst faithful believers. That is what church is about. That is why we are here. We can bounce things off of people. We can say, I've been praying about this. What do you think? And people go, that's a great prayer, or why are you praying about that? We can have discussions about our walk. We need to be intentional then. I'm reading the Bible, and I'm saying, oh, wait a minute. 
I'm not doing that. I'm not thanking God in my prayer. You may say, I look at this and I have no thanksgiving in my prayer. I am going to modify my prayer life to add thanksgiving. That is what it means to put things into practice. You read the Bible, you find something that you're doing that you're not supposed to, so you stop it, or you find something that you're not doing that you need to, and you add it. That is the application or the practice of Scripture. And then you seek the peace of God. If you don't have it, ask Him for it. Ask Him what's going on. Ask Him, how do I need to pray different? What do I need to do to release and enact the peace of God? And if you have an honest and true heart asking for that, I think you will get an answer. I think God will do that for you. And so three very, four very simple things. The Bible, fellow believers, practice what you read and seek the peace of God. And these things will give you a tight walk with God, will give you a walk with God such that people of the world will have no idea what you're talking about when you talk about your walk with God. It is a personal and corporate thing. We will understand. We will say, praise God, you're walking with God. But the, the world has no clue. And so, does it take work? Eh, it takes energy. It takes time. I can fill my time up with all sorts of worldly pursuits. Or I can fill up my time with walking closer with God, with seeking to practice more of what God would have me to do. Let us pray. Lord God Almighty, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this truth that there are, there is a direction to go. There are things we can do to be intentional Christians. And I pray that you will guide us, that you will give us the wisdom and the understanding, and that you will give me and us the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, I praise your name and ask your blessing upon this time. We ask this through the blood of Christ. Amen. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 180 Llewellyn Boulevard, San Lorenzo, California. Our Sunday morning service is at 1045 a.m. Our website is livingfreetoday.org and our phone number is 510-278-2622. May God continue to bless you as you serve your King. God bless.